So if you apply Wright's law to today's emerging technologies, like small modular reactors, direct air capture, or hydrogen electrolyzers, this will change the world. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 089, number 89 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded in late November 2023 at Electricity Canada's annual Powering Partnership Summit at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. There is no featured guest on the podcast this episode, but instead, sort of a summary of some of the things that I've learned on the podcast from previous guests applied to what the electricity sector may look like in 50 years. At Powering Partnerships, I gave a talk on the future of electricity, applying Wright's Law to what I have been learning from this podcast and extrapolating out to 2073. I start with a quick trip to the beginning of the past century and then take a trip to the future to see how international climate cooperation, technology, markets, and the customer experiences changed. Here is my keynote at Electricity Canada's Powering Partnerships Summit 2023. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, first off, uh, thank you everybody for taking the time to, to join us today. You know, it, it's been, um, at least up until now, uh, a terrific afternoon. Um, this afternoon, you know, we've, we've uh, been uh, talking about the future. Uh, and I, I want to thank David uh, and Heather, AJ and Stephen for their insights uh, about what's coming around the next corner, or, or corners, plural, but I want us to now go just a little bit further. In fact, I want to do something that we have never tried before at a Powering Partnerships event. Actual time travel. So don't worry. As she mentioned, I'm a podcaster. And I host a podcast called The Flux Capacitor. So when it comes to time travel, I'm a professional. You won't even have to leave your seats. I'm going to take us on a journey 50 years into the future, to 2073. Now, there's a lot of bleak scenarios uh, that I'm sure we could dwell on, but I want to provide you a more positive alternative about the future and the future of electricity. But first, before we do that, let's do a short jaunt to the past, and more precisely, to around the turn of the last century. It's there that we find ads uh, like this. So, <laughs> I love this ad. The, the headline is, is Horse versus Automobile. And the text reads, before you discard your horse and buy an auto, it is well to think of the cost. Figure out how much you spend for the harness and think of what new tires amount to. Figure out what it takes to feed Dobbin for a year. Now, I need to explain what a, what a Dobbin is, or a Dobbin. A Dobbin is a slow, placid horse. It's used for farming and transport. 
It's kind of like how we, you know, talk about, you know, sedans uh, with cars today, or in some cases, it's how we talk about the regulatory approval process for major projects, slow and placid. But the ad goes on to ask the reader to think of the cost of gasoline, of repairs, and storage charges. From there, it makes the argument that a Dobbin doesn't depreciate, but a car does. And while Dobbin the horse can take you through snow and mud, an automobile can't. The problem is, horses were the source of one of the biggest environmental problems people faced back then. Now, this is where time travel requires you to use all of your senses. So, you're in the middle of the city. It's the turn of the last century. All right, you ready for this? What do you smell? What do you smell? Well, you smell horse manure. You smell lots and lots of horse manure. Back then, New York had 100,000 horses. That's about as many Ubers and taxis that they have today. So each of those horses produced an average of 10 kilograms of manure every day. Now, let's do the math. That works out to 365,000 metric tons every single year. Now, disposing of manure and living with it was absolutely awful. Major intersections in major cities would have sweepers who regularly uh, were pushing what was dropped out of the way in order to make getting across the street less fraught. That was actually a job. Your job was to sweep manure off of intersections. You know, they don't show that on the Gilded Age. And that's not even mentioning the potential for the spread of disease. Now, nobody ever thinks today about horse manure as a major urban problem anymore. And why? Well, it's because the car happened. The rapid adoption of the automobile more than a century ago turned conventional wisdom at the time absolutely on its head. Nobody would ever go back to Dobins in the streets uh, and streets filled with manure. So, so what happened? And, and more importantly, what does that have to do specifically with electricity? Now, what happened was something that I think is best expressed through math. This is an actual equation. You see, back in the 1930s, there was an aeronautical engineer named Theodore Wright. And what he found was that every time total aircraft production doubled, the required time for labor decreased by 20%. From this, he came up with what's called Wright's Law which is the equation that you see here. Now, Wright's Law postulates that the cost of a unit decreases as a function of cumulative production. In other words, as more automobiles were made, the cheaper they became, which only accelerated adoption. Now, I've seen this again and again in my lifetime. You probably will have seen this as well. You know, lots of examples. You know, for example, VCRs. Now, VCR, the VCR, when it first came out, was absolutely a luxury item that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars 30 to 40 years ago. But the cost of that and succeeding technologies 
DVDs, Blu-ray players, and now streaming devices became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as more people adopted them. The same is true of personal computers, which cost thousands for a device that weighed you know, 20 kilograms in the 1980s. And now it's so light that you might have forgotten that you have one in your bag at this particular moment. Personally, uh, in 1984, uh, I was working for uh, the oil company Gulf Canada. Uh, in Toronto, I had a Hyperion portable computer. They called them portables back then. My Hyperion portable computer cost $15,000 in $2023. It weighed 18 pounds as a portable. We used to refer to it as a luggable. It had a fraction, absolutely a fraction of the capability of my iPhone a mere fraction of the capability. It cost 15 times more than my iPhone, and it weighed 40 times heavier than that iPhone does. So we can see that Wright's Law uh, and, and the impact of Wright's Law, we can see that, frankly, in the electricity sector today. In very recent memory, uh, we've seen the cost, for example, of intermittent renewables like wind uh, electricity sources drop from being hugely expensive to bidding lowest into markets. And the production of solar panels increased. And as, they, as the production increased, of course, the cost became cheaper and cheaper for those devices. Now, if you apply Wright's Law, so my experience of that 18-pound Hyperion that then uh, uh, drops down to a, a half-pound iPhone and, and the cost uh, gets cut, cut, uh, cut dramatically. So if you apply Wright's Law to today's emerging technologies, like small modular reactors, uh, direct air capture, or hydrogen electrolyzers, this will change the world. All right, so I promised time travel, and time travel to the future. So let's go to 2073 and see what Wright's Law has brought in 2073. Okay, first of all, see the slide here? Against all odds, the Globe and Mail still exists in 2073. And people still complain that it doesn't cover anything west of Spadina Avenue in Toronto. Or on a good day, maybe Bathurst Street. But... The most intriguing thing, now that we're in 2073, that you'll find is we've now got international cooperation on climate change, and that has continued to build to a point where there are binding agreements on greenhouse gas emissions. Now, that's not utopian Star Trek idealism at all. That's the self-interest of humanity moving things forward. That's what happened with preventing the causes of acid rain and stopping CFCs from creating holes in the ozone layer. Or more recently, with uh, eliminating coal, or as we talked about earlier today, uh, accelerating the process of COVID-19 vaccines. It just got to the point that it was simpler for everybody to just get things done. So what does a world that has finally dealt with greenhouse gas emissions actually look like? Well, for one thing, in 2073, we don't talk about net zero. We talk about net negative targets, which reduce carbon concentrations in the atmosphere to reverse the impacts of climate change. There's also global emissions, uh, global emissions trading uh, system in place 
to address those atmospheric carbon reduction targets and to address continued emissions from hard-to-abate sectors like, we've heard of some of them already today, air transportation, agriculture, or if you listen to the podcast that drops today, uh, somebody mentions defense as a, a hard-to-abate sector, which I thought was interesting. All right, so there's new global energy superpowers in 2073. There will be familiar players, the United States, Russia, China, others may not be so familiar. Thanks to extensive wind and solar networks, as well as the production of green hydrogen and ammonia, we'll see the rise in this space of India, of Australia, of Saharan and African countries, as they become dominant global energy forces. And what about Canada? Well, thanks to our geography, Canada is now the preeminent leader in the generation of emissions-free electricity, but we're also a leader in the production of green hydrogen, as well as blue hydrogen, which uses carbon capture uh, to, uh, to, uh, to produce it. Back in 2023, we'd begun experimenting with blending hydrogen into natural gas at low concentrations. The natural gas distribution system has been transformed by 2073 into a distribution system for hydrogen. Hydrogen supports a variety of technologies, including fuel cell transportation, critical emergency power backup. Indeed, for, for some applications, hydrogen has become the long-duration storage solution. Now, you know what else is a, 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 an important substance in 2073? Ammonia. As we use hydrogen more and more, we'll begin to scale the Haber-Bosch process, where hydrogen is mixed with nitrogen and processed at high temperature with pressure and a catalyst to produce ammonia, and in some cases, recatalyzed into hydrogen again. Now, because ammonia is more dense and it's easier to transport, that opens up opportunities for distributing and selling hydrogen. In fact, people might look back on the process of creating and transporting liquid natural gas as really the, the harbinger of this, and by 2073 standards, a little bit quaint. But this opens up all kinds of possibilities for selling and trading energy. For the past century, the only way we could trade electricity has been with the neighbors that we're connected to. Without interties, there was no other way for us to transport uh, electricity. But now, here in 2073, electricity is more than just interties. Thanks to the processes that, like the ones I described, we can trade, and we do trade, anywhere and everywhere. As a result, in 2073, energy pricing is no longer expressed as the Brent or the WTI. We're now looking at the Tawasin Index and the Moose Jaw Market, and the Nana Civic Index, because the major energy hubs in Canada have shifted to these more geographically diverse hubs. And we're not just you know, looking at Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. We're talking about Saskatoon and St. John's and Hearts Delight. This unlocks all kinds of potentials for smaller communities, and particularly in the north. By 2073, the incumbent major clean energy companies have been expanding their hydro and nuclear generation over the succeeding five decades. But there are new players 
and they come from all three coasts, east, west, and the north. And they also come from the prairies, thanks to wind and solar and hydrogen production and even direct air capture. In fact, by 2073, the successful companies are the ones that can be agile and shift between electricity production, hydrogen production, or direct air capture, depending upon the market conditions. Now, the customer's world in 2073 has changed as well. So the, the era of the, the prosumer has evolved to the point where we've reached full automation of customer decisions. Quantum computing, uh, evolved AI, uh, means that energy systems know customer preferences. Algorithms are able to make energy decisions for customers based upon their preferences, as well as market conditions. Now, I don't know about you, but I hardly ever use a, a physically use a thermostat anymore. Uh, I just say on a hot day, hey, Alexa, can you turn down the temperature to 21 degrees? But what if all your preferences for not only comfort, but also for pricing are locked in? By 2073, you can just let your home heat and cool itself. The thermostat has gone the way of the rotary dial phone. Plus, energy utilization will have changed thanks to the emergence of these new technologies. This will mean new transportation options. By 2073, a hybrid vehicle would be a vehicle that has both a battery and hydrogen fuel cells. Now, I've got to say, the, this little image that the, the, our, our communications group mocked up, um, they, they know I, I always ask the question about when are we going to get the flying car. So I, I love the dashboard includes a little button there that says altimeter and vector control. So wonderful stuff. But, you know, the landscape for distributed energy will also be radically different, and it will radically change the customer's experience by the time we get to 2073. If you're connected, and if the price is right, you can draw electricity from the grid, or you can draw from a community microgrid. Now, if weather conditions are favorable, eh, self-generation, that might be the better option. And if you have a surplus of self-generated electricity, plenty of options. You could sell it back to the grid, or to the local community, or even to direct air capture aggregators, or even hydrogen producers. In fact, the system may make all of those decisions for you based upon your preferences. Finally, there's something about 2073, which makes it different from cities at the turn of the last century, or even 2023. It's something we have to use all our other senses to fully appreciate. All right, first, well, there's no smell. And it's not just, you know, no smell of manure, but no smell of diesel, no smell of gasoline. And, you know, so much noise is generated by internal combustion engines. The cities in 2073 are not only, not only do they not smell, but they are quieter. That's what electrification can do in cities in 2073. None of what we've seen is far-fetched, and none of this is science fiction. These are all technologies that exist today, but are currently not economical, or at least not at scale and not yet. However, Wright's Law will bring these solutions into our future. All that's missing is political will, international cooperation, 
and the right policies and frameworks. But, you know, right now <laughs> we're at a similar crossroads uh, as to what happened uh, back with the emergence of the automobile. As we approach the mid-2020s, we're about to experience important, life-changing shifts to how we do things thanks to electrification. But it's difficult to look around our present circumstances and see the future. You know, right now we're dealing with a, a lot of the sentiments that resemble those anti-car ads of the early 20th century. And, and there's a good reason for this. I do understand this. I mean, back at the turn of the last century, nobody wanted to be the company that was selling buggy whips in 1907. And we face a similar situation today, frankly. Like those ads about Dobbins being uh, more reliable, short-term concerns and headlines are blocking us from seeing what the future can be like. If history shows us anything, it's that things can change just like that. One day, horses dominate. And planners back then were predicting, and this is back at the turn of the last century, they were, the planners were predicting that uh, in the future, uh, not only were they dealing with the current problem, but as they projected forward, cities would be buried under horse manure. That was the concern at the time, but things changed so quickly. The next day, we had cars. And not too long from now, we're going to have mass electrification. The mass adoption of the automobile, it took a surprisingly short time, less than 15 years. And that was in an age that was barely out of the Industrial Revolution. We saw that with the adoption of the internet in the 1990s, which went from something that was available to a small number of people through university computer labs to a means for parents to send cat videos on American Online in just five years. Or smartphones, which went from an extravagance to absolutely indispensable, an indispensable part of our human culture in less than three years. And even today, who now owns a landline? How much faster will things change for the electricity sector? In an age where we're starting to talk about AI-enabled technology and SMRs and carbon capture, like they're simply commonplace. History is rife with examples of social change and technology adoption that initially seemed so far off, but then reached a tipping point much more quickly than anticipated. But we have to be willing participants to bring this future to life. So make no mistake, the future is coming, and make no mistake that that future is going to be electric. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, and let me know what you think of the Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter or X as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 89. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.